Hello and welcome to the Virgin Gardener podcast, the podcast for everyone who loves gardens and plants and basically all the good things. I'm Letitia McClough and I'm a journalist, blogger and plant enthusiast. In this episode, I'm talking with Fergus Drennan, aka Fergus the Forager, all about wild food and catkin twiglets and dancing on acorns. <laughs> so do check out his courses at fergustheforager.co.uk, which include London Parks workshops on the first Sunday of every month, so you can take part even if you can't get out of the big smoke. Uh, so now, without further ado, here is Fergus. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Um, my name is Fergus Drennan. Sometimes I call myself and known as Fergus the Forager. I like the alliteration and it's also true because I forage. <laughs> um, and yeah, I've been doing it for a very long time, um, 45 years almost. So that means that this you were born doing this. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm just guessing. When I say that, you know, I'm stretching kind of things a little bit in the sense that I'm including starting to gather things for my tortoise when I was three on okay. Wimbledon Common. But, but, but you see, yeah. that counts. And I just want to, I want to just unpick that a little bit because one of the main things I think that prevents people from, uh, from having a go with for, foraging is it's just not in their blood. They haven't been brought up. They've got a fear of it, you know. But, but we're told right from the beginning, don't touch that. You know, <laughs> it might be poisonous. <laughs> yeah. Can you, can you can you just tell us a bit about how your parents approached it with you or how you, was it innate? Did you instinctively start doing it? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, it's funny you say, you know, in our blood, maybe not, but certainly in our DNA. But uh, yeah, I do have this kind of fantasy of like, you know, this comes from like years ago, watching rabbits and other animals, how they can just go up to a plant and some of them, they sniff and then they move on to the next thing um, because clearly it's not something they like. And then, you know, the plant next to it, they're just kind of munch away. Um, and I do wish I had that level of instinctual knowledge. But or indeed the sense of smell. I mean, presumably, <laughs> presumably, yes. wait, presumably well, we lose out because we don't have that the, uh, the sense of yeah, smell. Yeah, I, I do have a good sense of smell. And in, in a sense um that yeah when i'm foraging myself and encouraging other people to it's uh, to engage as many senses as possible not just like you know visual looking at the characteristics but you know touch and smell and taste obviously um yeah but no my my i, I was kind of joke with my mother that um the reason i became a forager and like to be outside all the time is because i was kind of deprived of it which is <laughs> being a bit mean on my mother because you know we did go to Wimbledon Common and and do things like that but yeah I mean I I didn't really grow up in the in the country although you know for for people that don't know I expect lots of people do know Wimbledon Common it's in London mm. um and the Wombles and as, live a, there. as a small child <laughs> and Wombles live there as well and Wombles say, live yeah. there and that's another that's a whole other story <laughs> yeah but, but but I think as a small child a three four-year-old um, you know, you can be in the bigger, in the centre of uh, such a major city like that, but it might as well be the country, and it is the country to, in a certain sense. So, did your? I mean, what I'm trying to find out is that when you picked your first dandelion, yeah, yeah, you gave it to your tortoise. But did your mum say, "Oh, you can eat that too"? No, it, 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 this kind of came a bit later. It was kind of interesting because I think one of my favourite things to do as a very small child in what I call the tortoise era, was watching the absolute relish with which the tortoise would um, kind of eat the dandelion leaves. Mm. So I was thinking this must be like, you know, the ambrosial food of the gods. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't for about two years after doing this, I, I remember, and it was kind of quite a kind of secret thing. I thought, well, you know, I haven't asked my mother really, but I'm, I'm going to, Oh, I didn't even know if it's edible, but I'm going to go eat some of these these, yeah. these amazing dandelion leaves. And my goodness, the crushing disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> Not Ambrose. <laughs> no, but I think it was it was a few years later when I was kind of seven, um, and then to kind of about eleven, I was very interested in butterflies and moths and finding caterpillars on on their food plants mm. and. 
it was through that that you know if, if you're looking in it in a basic child's book on i don't know butterflies and moths or or wild plants particularly butterflies and moths and, and the and the plants that the, the larvae the caterpillar feed on it would say you know and some people like you know like country folk like eat nettles that the you know small tortoiseshell red yeah. admiral peacock have like the caterpillar likes it's like you know some country folk they they like to make a, a soup out of this and it's like well, okay kind of stuck with me and uh another one garlic mustard yeah or jack by the hedge the the uh, the orange tip butterfly it, yeah. it kind of likes that um as well as a few other plants and i think those kind of things like were there and percolating away and then and in 1990, I, I spent two years training to be a chef. Um, so I was very interested in, in flavor. And I, I guess those things that had just been sitting with me, you know, came, were, were still there. And I had the confidence to actually move those things into the category of possible ingredients, whereas perhaps other people would just think, oh, you know, no, yeah, let's just go to the shops. Yeah, that it sort of stemmed from a, a taste thing yeah a taste a, t- a taste thing or even if it was vicarious taste you know watching the, the tortoise enjoying things so so fantastically i think <laughs> as children we all have that um that incredible curiosity which we sort of unlearn well we learn not we learn to sort of push it down don't we as we get older yeah. um and i it just reminded me i was i was watching that um a, a thing on netflix with chris packham um, did you see that thing on on his life? And he no. um, <laughs> he 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 used to go and collect tadpoles. And one day he just had the urge to try one. <laughs> uh, I've been I've been there. Really? <laughs> I've been there. No, really, have you? The other things too, like this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this. Yeah, just, we, I think as children we do this. We do. Um, I didn't, but <laughs> you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I ate, I ate earthworms, I ate frog spawn, I ate tadpoles really? as a child. Um, <gasps> That's very interesting because yeah. he was explaining that in, in, I think, I'm not sure if I read it right, but in um, in the context of his Asperger's, Asperger's, I should say. But um, but really, I... I well, look, I, he's, got, he's got an excuse. Yeah. It? <laughs> what, what, what can I, I'm thinking, what can I come up with? You know, it's like, yeah. Well, you know, that it was an obsession. It became an obsession type of yeah. thing, just, that, just to, to immerse himself. But I do, it did, it did sort of speak to me because I remember feeling like that as a child, just completely and utterly immersed by one particular thing. And nature is fully I think, obsessive. Yeah. I think part of that immersion, particularly as a very young child, you, there isn't that separation that comes with um, kind of later childhood when you become you know, a, a self-conscious being. I, I think it's as a, a real kind of merging and flow between the two. So it's like, so when you're kind of reaching out, kind of, I don't know, for me, I'd say pre-seven before I did kind of become aware that I was Fergus. Um, <laughs> it was like... Well, you know, it's this thing. Like, is it me? What is it? I don't know. I'm yeah. going to put it into my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. So when, so when we, I mean, a lot of children nowadays are brought up, particularly in urban areas, are brought up. Well, everywhere really to think anything unknown is is kind of something to be avoided and bad. Um, I was wondering, have you ever got ill from anything that you've eaten? Well, I have twice. Um... It was kind of interesting because, I mean, it, it, as soon as you were saying that, a, a thought was coming to me. And one of, one of the things that I, I, I get quite annoyed about is that I see, whether in the woods or kind of urban parks, is like fungi that have been kind of kicked and stamped. Mm. And I think this is part of that kind of like, you know, we don't know it. So let's kind of destroy it kind yeah. of yeah. thing. But but I was thinking about that. And then it was kind of interesting when you asked about the you know, any, anything that I'd eaten at yeah, it's kind of two different things, wasn't it? I shouldn't yeah, have said yeah, so, that. <laughs> but, but it was it was mushrooms, um, right? Which is interesting because when when I think about the different categories of wild food, it is. I mean, we do live in in the UK in a very mycophobic culture, and it's mm. that category of food that people are most fearful of. Um, and actually, that that's the one that I would poison with. Yeah, um, yeah. not not can, terribly. Yeah, so you were just you just vomited, did you? Tell oh, me the gory details. It's an interesting story. So <laughs> a, a girlfriend that I was 
it's still a good friend. This is going back 20 years that I was encouraging to be more confident about picking mushrooms. She, oh, no. <laughs> she, I know. Well, she picked, she, she'd got off at, a, I think it was Stansted or something, couldn't be bothered to wait for a train or a bus and started walking and she's walking past some fields and she picked these mushrooms and she said they were horse mushrooms and they were all growing in one ring. And she presented me with this basket. I'm like, wow, that's great. You know, this is, it wasn't, you know, it's quite a short time after I'd been encouraging her to kind of do this a bit more with confidence. And so, you know, I questioned her uh, about it and I examined the, them, them closely. Um, and then I ate them. All and, of them. You well, didn't the just try a little bit. You just <laughs> ate all of them. <laughs> well, see, I, I, I tested them. And, you know, they, they smell lovely of marzipan and they they didn't flash yellow at the, at the base. A slight kind of yellowing. So they they were they were one of several really good edible members of the Agaricus genus. But there's there's another member of that genus called Agaricus xanthoderma, a yellow stainer, which is the, the fungus that causes the most poisonings in this country. And so what had happened, she picked all these lovely like kind of horse mushrooms and with the stems and the, and the caps together. And she just picked the caps of the yellow stainers. And one of the really distincting, distinctive features, as I said, is when you cut at the, at the base, it flushes canary yellow in, in the poisonous one. Right, So, but and, you didn't have that marker. Yeah, well, see, the thing is, yeah, first of all, what she said was wrong. But And I found this afterwards, after I'd been hanging over a bowl. And, you know, when you've been <laughs> trying to be sick, where you've been sick, violently sick, for about 15 minutes and there's nothing else left and you're literally your body's trying to turn itself inside out. Yes, I do, unfortunately. Oh, it's so terrible. It's it's terrible. (laughs) But it was after a couple of hours of that, she said, well, you know, it wasn't actually just one ring. And, you know, some other details came out. Um, (laughs) It was kind of interesting because it was a good lesson for me that, I, I always and I always say this to people about where you're going to come unstuck is if you start making too many assumptions. Right. So, I guess perhaps it's fair enough to to think your know, your 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 partner is telling you the truth, but uh, <laughs> maybe not. But um, they may not but, know. But but just yeah, but, but but my assumption then is that looking at them, they're all the same thing. You right. know, I, I yeah. should have looked. I should have looked not just at one, but at lots of them. You know. Is there something so, uh, about is there a bit of a risk-taking thrill about it? Or do you just know too much now? You just know everything. So you, 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 it's a calm, lovely thing. Or is there well, a bit of a rush? Do you know, I think that's one of the joys of foraging is that you can never know everything. Um, there's always, it's, a, it's one of these lifelong things. Or, well, there's always something to discover, whether it be a new plant, seaweed, fungus, or a way of working with it. Um, um, did, you, did, you, um, did you study this? How did you come to where you are today? Okay, I came to it well, I, after, after training as a chef for two years. I kind of worked in kitchens for six months, and I just decided, to, you know, as they say, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. <laughs> and, I, I, you know, I couldn't get out fast enough. Um, <laughs> but but I, 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 lo- I, love, you know, I love cooking. I love working with different flavors. I, I, I just love experiments in, in all aspects of life, actually. But and I, well, I think I just love creativity. And I think in cooking, there's a huge scope for kind of creative um, expression practice. Mm. So I can see because you have your Instagram is amazing, particularly your Instagram stories, which is how I found you. And you have so much fun with what I do. We're... And I think what you, you might have seen there is, is you say, you know, is, is it the, the thrill? Is that part of the thing? in a sense, possibly that there is some risk. And, and I, I would say, yeah, I do really enjoy exploring food at the boundaries, the boundaries of edibility. Right. Because I, when you're often working with wild plants, seaweeds, fungi, whatever it might be, um, it's like edibility is a continuum. Very often something isn't either edible or not edible. It's, mm. you know, it d- depends how you prepare it, how you process it you know, how you work it into, into things to, to make it edible. Um, and I, I enjoy that challenge. 
Yeah, there's a lot of play and uh, sort of yeah, larking around, yeah, which absolutely. I love. <laughs> I love, love yeah. watching. I loved. I loved seeing those dock leaves being kind of stripped. It reminded me of cheese strings. You can eat them mid vein oh, Yeah, that that was um, uh, plantain leaves. Oh, sorry. Yes, plantain yeah. leaves. Yeah. Yeah, and and then well, that's the, the thing about foraging. It, it's such an amazing sensual experience because it's not. So there was like the, you know, the, the kind of texture of the leaf, but the sound of of, of dragging those veins out, or those G G. I like that those G string um, <laughs> cords. G not G string. Is that G G string? Not G string. G strings. So I'm, I'm learning to play the violin at the moment, so all I can think oh, about the is the G string. Oh my goodness! And, of course, um, you wouldn't know what a cheese string was. It's a disgusting <laughs> process thing that I put in my child's lunchbox months <laughs> when I couldn't be bothered to cook. Uh, I, I'm going to shut up right now about that. Oh dear, um, oh dear. Uh, but also, yes, indeed, the G string of a violin. <laughs> yes, anyway, that's what yeah, I meant. It's, Actually, that, you know, that's really interesting in terms of wild food because, you know, there's, there's often a sense with people that, you know, oh, getting wild food, it's you know, not very convenient, is it, compared to going to the shops or even growing your own, perhaps. But uh, that was an interesting exercise for me because even I'm kind of, kind of partial to that kind of thought sometimes, even though it's usually to do with a particular wild plant. Oh, I won't use it because it's mm. a bit of effort. But that one in particular, great plantain, it's got such a good flavor, such a good texture if you kind of cook it right. But it's, it takes a little bit of work. You have to kind of pull out those veins. But I was doing it, and then I thought, you know what? This has been really very quick. It's been a fun thing to do. And um, it's, it's no, it takes no longer than if you were stringing some, some beans. And yeah. what's even better is I've now got three different vegetables Whereas yes. if I had some beans, I would just have beans and some waste and stuff. some waste, yeah, um, absolutely. Or compost material, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I, that's interesting that you say that. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm interested in the practicalities, obviously, around this. And um, could you give us some kind of, yeah, foraging tools? What do you need? You need, a, you need a sharp knife, presumably. Good fingernails. Yeah. <laughs> A guidebook. I have to say this because my friend came up with this wonderful friend's uh, phrase the other day. He said, my, my hands were like, um, they were like the hoary-handed sons of the soil. Hoary-handed <laughs> 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 sons, <laughs> a bit brilliant. Yeah, really you a gnarly like person. That's yeah, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> I, I was, I've just found myself in, in kind of recent weeks starting kind of wild food workshops by saying that if foraging is about anything, it's about noticing. Yeah. So I think that's part of what can lead to success with foraging. Because another friend, she used to have this, um, I don't know if she's still doing it, um, she used to do stuff in Brixton under the kind of label of invisible food. And I really like that kind of title for what she did because, yeah, you know, wild food for most people um, is invisible. Yeah, we don't so, see it, do we? Yeah, so just noticing it in it, in it's, yeah, is just such, such a crucial first step. And for many people, plants are invisible in Absolutely. urban areas. They're just not seen. They're sort of a, a negative space. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I do find that very interesting. Can you give us some kind of pointers uh, in within urban areas, which is, you know, most people live in them, Um where would we go? Where would we start? We might want to do one of your courses. We might want to read a book, but um, a simple way to start. Well, I mean, in terms of just plant identification and seeing plants, you know, there's loads of wonderful green spaces in, in big, big cities and, and towns. Um, I, mean, I think of the London parks and kind of whole kind of green corridors are kind of around the edge of kind of London. Um, even urban alleyways and, and things. I mean, it's it's just it's it's another question. I was going to say it's another question whether those plants are safer enough to then take on to be food, or you can do so without you know coming a cropper in terms of breaking various bylaws and all the rest of it. So I just are you? I mean, this is the thing about the whole parenting aspect of this. My children often see a dandelion on the street on their way to school 
And um, I want to say, you can eat those leaves, but I don't. And the reason why I don't is because dogs piss all over them. Yeah. I, I was going to say that you often find dandelions are a wonderful example of a plant that is so kind of tenacious and, and has this ability to find anywhere to grow. And you can find them on, on walls as well. But then I was just thinking of my mother's garden and all the cats. <laughs> yes, well, quite <laughs> spray of pee. Well. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you um, really need to find some kind of area. That yeah, is... and do you know another thing I often encourage people to do? But, you know, they, they are in an area where they have concerns like that you know if you see, see a daddy line and you'd like to say to your child yeah it's great and edible um you know what do we all so many of us love doing as children we love growing things from seed mm. so get some seed and put it in a in a nice clean soil pot yeah. and and grow it That's and i think if advice. you do that as so another thing i i i i I did myself about 20 years ago, and I often say to people, if you want to do a kind of shortcut to really expanding your your foraging knowledge and awareness of plants is, yeah, so one thing is you can keep going to the same location at different times of the year because it's so important to engage with and, and kind of meet these plants at different stages in their growth cycle. Mm. But you know, that's a lovely thing to do in itself, just go out there and do that, go to the same place. But... It can be easier if you've just got the plant close at hand and you're growing it from seed and you can see it going through all those different you know, stages of growth. And, and in doing that, because sometimes like you might, it might be the, the flower that we're after or it might be the root or it might be the, the, the flower bud or it might be the seed or it might be the very young leaves. And I remember when I started doing this, there were these plants that I'd, I'd see in books that it, it'd say get the, the young tender leaves in the spring for a salad and you know and it was only when like at the height of summers we are now that I would recognize the plant in flower right and when I started growing things from seed it was like ding ah oh, that's what that is which I see everywhere you know yeah, like, that's what those yeah. tiny leaves are they're going to turn yeah, into this yeah, yeah. I think see uh, recognizing uh, with seeds with seedlings is um is such an art isn't it yeah. <laughs> i'm so yeah, yeah. terrible at it constantly yeah. hoeing up wonderful things anyway yeah <laughs> another story do you have a garden yourself or is i, I live in a place at the moment which is so wonderful to be honest and at at the moment i am sitting in the conservatory where i'm growing loads of squashes oh. um yes yeah love a squash uh, yeah and I've just gone into growing in the last couple of years. Have you? That's interesting. So you, and you, I think, yeah, I like things that are easy. <laughs> Squashes are really easy and fun. Um, yeah. And do you, I mean, garden plants to forage. Yeah. Can you give us a few examples, um, uh, you know, of things in our, in our own gardens that we might be overlooking that we can actually eat? Well, it, would that be as a grower? Yeah, just, yeah. Well, it was kind of interesting because, yeah, so let's say you've just got a small plot and you're growing some veg. And, and this is also interesting because you know you're a forager when you do this, right? So mm -hmm. I had some friends coming over for, for dinner the other night and I had some wild mushrooms and I wanted to do some greens. I thought, well, I go down to the veg plot. We're going, growing chard and spinach. And, and I got down there and I was kind of looking at it all and it's lovely spinach. And, but, all between it and kind of next to it, there was a whole load of fat hen, which is <laughs> uh, tell, uh, tell us. A, yeah, a very common uh, wild plant or, or weed, if you will. Um, and so this is actually true. I completely ignored the, the, the spinach <laughs> in the end. I thought, I'm, I'm just going to go and pick this fat hen. And that's what I did. So, yeah, that's something you very commonly see, particularly in kind of more nitrogen-rich soil, which is why it was there, because it's been, um, we've, we've put a lot of compost down on the, on the beds. I will, but, I know, will look up fat hen and see if I can find the, the Latin name. Oh, I, if, if you've got, if, if you grow and you've, certainly if you've got a, a allotment or something, you, it will be there. It'll I, be I almost there. guarantee it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, the, that's that, so that's joyful. The, yeah. And the other thing about it, and, I mean, there's there's a whole lot of issues actually around looking at the, the particular nutrition of plants. But as a general um, rule, that if you look at the 
the nutritional profile of something like fat hen compared to the, the nearest equivalent you might be using, such as spinach, that it's it's just so it's so much richer in nutrients. Really? You know? um, so you've got the, the the flavor and the nutrient, you know, together. So it's just wonderful. I, I have to say, um, I've been looking at some of the recipes on your website, some of the salads, and they are just so beautiful. I mean, so joyful. Um, to, and to think all these things, things that I notice, weeds in my garden, but also um, flowers that I grow in my garden. Um, yeah, I think that I we're, wouldn't we're, even think of eating. We've moved into that lovely time of the year where, you know, you could, you might have grown some salad leaves or you go out and you buy um, some salad. But if you want a foraging element to it and you're not sure about the leaves, like there's so many flowers you can just add to it to make it really colourful and beautiful. So can, can you give us some examples? Not nasturtium. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not nasturtium. Um, flowers. Well, what flowers have we got now? Well, dandelion, uh, of course. Um, birds so foot trefoil flowers. Oh, yes. Lovely. What about mallow? flowers? Literally, it was on the tip of my tongue. Mallow flowers. Really? Um, a, so that is a yeah. thing, is it? I yeah, common no mallow, tree idea. mallow. And, you know, they're these gorgeous little kind of pinky purple kind of cup-like flowers, aren't they? They're beautiful. Um, I, saw, I did see them on, my, on your website and thought, gosh, I didn't know I could use those. Um, yeah, poppy petals are really nice at the moment. Um, poppy petals I wouldn't have dreamt of, of using yeah I mean it's such such a such a great color it's ama- an amazing color and also obviously and, and of course of course right you know now we've got we've got both Japanese rose like Rosa Ragosa yeah um, and you know just dog dog rose yeah and the Rosa Ragosa is great because you get the white form and you get the kind of that the crimson kind of gorgeous yeah 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 so beautiful and the hips obviously i loved that smoothie you made out of frozen rose hip yeah do you know that's one of i every few years i i i i find myself doing something which i find it so wonderful on so many levels that i make it part of the my kind of repertoire of what i do every every year and that's one of them and do um, you find that is your how can i ask how, how is your general health Fergus, <laughs> let's just get down to brass tacks. Are, are you extremely healthy? Well, do you, I, do you know, I, I would say that I've, I've just actually come out of a six-year period of really poor health. Really? Predominantly all to do with having chronic insomnia. Oh, right, yeah. Um, that, that's which thing. can, but, you know, I'm, I'm, unfortunately that, that, that's kind of almost behind me now. But, you know, apart from that, which has a lot of, of negative knock-on effects, to be honest, um, yeah, I am, in, I am in good health. Yeah, and so do you think that, I mean, I was going to ask you this right at the last bit, but I'm going to ask you right now. Do you ever eat anything bad? Like, do you ever just think, oh, I really fancy a burger? Um, <laughs> i tell you, I make the <laughs> most amazing venison burger. No, no, with, burgers, well, burgers. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. Can you ever not be bothered to make your beautiful venison burger and just okay, think, it, oh, I'm just going to have a fish finger? Put, put, put it this way. For, <laughs> so for, for lunch, I had um, a green soup that was made out of 150 different wild greens. Oh, my goodness. But, but here's the thing, right? After lunch, I was uh, looking around. I'm in a house share and yeah. um, <laughs> had the joys of a house share. <laughs> I was like, hmm, someone's got a big stash of chocolate there. <laughs> uh, well, you know, that's, you know, it's all about balance, isn't it? I've just eaten this incredibly nutrient-dense, wonderfully flavoured wild green soup, and now I'm going to have a um, half a bar of chocolate. Well, of course. So, you know, it's, it's all about right, balance. Which is also nutrient-dense in absolutely. a different way. Yeah, yeah. There was, <laughs> yeah, there, absolutely. <laughs> I, love, I, I love that. I think um, I think it, it is all about balance, and um, yeah, we don't need to. We don't necessarily need to be um, eating primarily um, primarily fantastic stuff. I'm I'm interested in your back in 2013. You embarked on a a diet of 100% forage food. So how, can you tell us a bit about how you got on with that and and what you learned from it? <laughs> <laughs> 
I love this. That's because I, inter- I tell you, it's, it's interesting. I laugh. Because, How did that go? <laughs> because, yeah, my idea is to do a year just living on wild food. And so as part of the kind of exploration for that, I, I, I did from uh, March, whole of March and April, just on wild food, like two months. And then uh, May and June at different times. And then every other month of the year, I've done a whole consecutive month apart from February. So it's all part of the research leading up to that. But I've never actually done that, that, that project. You didn't Um, complete the project. But it's quite funny. You are doing it. There there were a few American websites that, you know, sort of Fergus Jennings lived a year on wild food. I was talking to friends, and this is quite a long time ago about this, and they say, oh, yeah, well, you don't need to bother now because, like, you know, you've done it. It's It's written on the internet. And I said, yeah, but it's the journey. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey, like the adventure. So my current plan is, and I'm going to try and hold myself to this because it, it, it feels very much like unfinished business, not having completed this year because i know it's theoretically possible and since i decided to do it in 2013 i know so much more in order to make that a success so the plan is to make my 50th year which is um 2022 uh the year that i i, I the live year that you entirely do that. on wild food and yeah. will that include this is interesting to me meat do you hunt i don't hunt but i do eat what i call accidental meat so roadkill. Uh, yeah, if you, if you could use that word. Yeah, yeah, essentially that's what so, people like by. Uh, well, can you give us an example of that? Of? Of accidental meat. So I live in the Ashdown Forest in East Sussex mm-hmm. and, you know, where it's overrun with deer. Yeah. So you can pick them up very, very fresh. Um, right. So yeah, I, I, I because I they've been culled or because uh, they've been run over. Oh, because they've they've been sadly hit hit by a car. Yeah, but you know I also make use of when when when, I, when people ask me, do you eat kind of do you hunt or I say, well I do I do kind of hunt in the sense that I'm going to eat something that I've caught that's live that's not you know accidentally hit by a car. It's going to be things that don't move very fast. So. Yeah. So that would be snails and oysters and limpets and things like that. Yeah. Things that are easy to get. And do you eat a lot of those then? Is that does that form a, a, a good a portion well, of your I, diet? Be, because one of the areas of foraging which I love, perhaps, well, I, that's not true. I love them all, but I, I, I love going to the coast. I love paddling around as we as lots of us did as children in in rock pools looking at stuff so and to that end i love seaweeds yeah so i was gonna ask you about seaweeds yeah when you're around seaweeds you're around shellfish yeah and um yeah um tell me some of the things that you do with seaweed because it is it's almost it's, it's almost encyclopedic what you can do with seaweed isn't it seaweed's incredible like obviously you could just eat eat it fresh if it's from kind of clean waters or category category a waters you know that you could eat shellfish raw from but then you know you can use it to wrap things um and then pit cook things like i, I love to wrap fish um, with some wild herbs in and then put those parcels on hot embers and then cover them over with sand or or, or shingle and just let them cook for about 20 minutes you know bits of sea bass or something like that or you know you can get the, the seaweed and you can you can dry it and then you can flake it or you can powder it and that can go into breads and biscuits and pastries and pasta dough. Oh, I loved could... the pasta dough that you were making. Um, uh, I can't remember what seaweed you were using. Absolutely beautiful. Oh, Heart shaped. <laughs> you yeah, can't I, even I, remember I, I how If prolific. there's any excuse to turn something into a heart shape, I, I will find it. <laughs> it just <laughs> yeah. tastes better, doesn't it? It's a heart shape. It does, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Like, and if you thought you couldn't love the thing you're eating anymore, you turn it into heart shape, it's almost overwhelming. <laughs> so many things. And yeah, this is, goes back to the playful idea. Just twiglets. You're making twiglets out of catkins. Yeah, that, that, that was the thing. So I think. When you're working with wild food, it's like, yeah, where where does the inspiration come from? And it often comes from associations. Mm. And, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Marmite or Twiglets, but when I oh, I'm saw... I'm sorry, you just cannot, but, you can't be in my gang. But, but, what's that? <laughs> I'm kidding. Just go on, <laughs> go on, go on, go on. Well, but, yeah, but 
I don't know. I, I am much more now. So can I be in your game? <laughs> you can and, come um, out into my fort, my blanket <laughs> fort. Yes, go on. Yeah, go but on. I, it was just looking at the shape of young birch catkins in the spring. Yeah. And, you know, getting that's a category of foods that I've in the last couple of years, I've really got into exploring. And when I, you know, when I when I kind of pushing my knowledge of, of wild food, it's yeah, often it is about finding a category of things or one thing and then working with it in lots of ways. But just the fact that the, that they did remind me of twiglets, I thought, well, one of the things that makes them quite challenging as an ingredient is that they are quite bitter. Yeah. So you're going to need a really strong flavor to offset that. Yeah. So I thought, well, they look like twiglets. Marmite is a strong flavor. Let's Indeed. make them into twiglets. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. And, and it, how it did they of, take- I would say, I would say it kind of 80% worked. That was definitely one of the things I thought, oh, gosh, I'd really like to try that. It, it, yeah. I mean, how, how chic would that be? Here's some champagne and here's a twiggly, twiglets made out of catkins. How yeah, cool. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to offer that. Um, speaking of which, your, what kind of equipment? It seems like you've got a lot of sort of large sort of bowls and... Uh, straining equipment and obviously you must have a lot of canning equipment and stuff like that um have you acquired that over the years or is it i mean is it something you have to keep adding to as you learn more if i'm if i'm in in town and i'm going past a charity shop i will pop in if i'm if i was driving home the other day and i was like passing I kind of got lost and then I saw this big boot fair was going on. So I went there. Um, mm. If I'm passing by a charity shop, I will, you know, pop in because I do. I And, and it, often it's not I don't have a particular bit of equipment in mind, but I might see something and it might be something like a particular grade of like soil um, siver, you know. Yeah. And I think I think, you know what, that particular plant with those seeds, that would be just the right thing. But after I've kind of rubbed off the husks, I can just kind of sieve it through that. So yeah, you know, I, think... I kind of I, I look around and then and then I see things and then I, I you know I get them for, for future it is for use and, and then I pull my hair out when when the, the, the very time I need it I can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> right, no, but I do. In all seriousness, I do think it's that's quite an important aspect of this is to because otherwise it can be so laborious, can't it? If you're having to, I don't know take the husks off something or uh, or or sieve something out of of a mass of something you, you having having the right equipment is really key otherwise you just give up and think oh, i can't do that anymore yeah it's true as you know as i'm always a bit torn when the, with these kind of thoughts because i mean there are those occasions when i know i'm doing something and it's not the most efficient way you know mm-hmm. and then i say to myself well you know, check in with myself. But am I enjoying it? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Like, mm. you know, did I come on this planet to be like a super efficient robot? No. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, but uh, other times, yeah, you're right. I just want to do it in the most efficient way so I can kind of get on and then do the actual kind of cooking with the ingredient. No, thank you for so. pulling me up for that because you're absolutely right. Why wouldn't you do the things that you enjoy and why wouldn't you do them slowly? Yeah, and I mean, there are some some processes where particularly if you're sitting around with a group of friends and um you know you just do it and i, I think possibly you know as a culture we're we're we're, we're getting less patient um yeah. an example i often give people is that it's, it's not really to do with wild food it's like you know having been in china a bit and been on on trains and i see you know people are traveling along like that kind of in conversation on their own and they've just got a big pile of um sunflower seeds and they're all in the shells and they're shelling them like you know can you believe and eating them they're shelling them and then they're eating them like a parrot (laughs) it's all part of the process yeah but can you imagine in this country that we wouldn't do that we sunflower seeds with their shell on like that is just bird food yeah but yeah but it's not part of our culture to actually make that effort we yeah. just want it all instantly prepared. Like, Which is why like, we're so fat and they're so thin, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, probably. Because I, I desperately see, and it's funny, but there's a serious point in that because if you're, you know, yeah, okay, the, the equivalent in this country, you go to the buffet car, which is never really stocked with particularly healthy food. You get 
um, some you know horrible sausage roll or some sandwich and some some chocolate and you go back to your seat and yeah. you know maybe with your fizzy drink yeah but and then you have all these like calories yeah suddenly and you've Easy. got no way to yeah mm. and but if you're on a long train journey and you're just you know you're eating quite a lot of nuts but over a, a long period of time because yeah, you're just, just sitting there and you're just engrossed in shelling them i think it's you know obviously it's going to be much better meditative as well yeah so many reasons um i was going to ask about the community aspect of all this because uh, you know foraging to me it seems it seems to be quite a solitary activity almost a kind of secret activity i don't know why yeah. probably because i sort of don't know anything about it but how do you share and 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 make sure that there's enough. I'm telling you a bit too much about myself here. There's never enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say don't just don't embrace pos- positive um, poverty consciousness. <laughs> embrace abundance. Exactly. Um, embrace abundance. Yeah. How do you ensure abundance and share? Yeah. Well, I, I you know I think one thing that's really important as a as a forager, and I, I try and encourage. And it's not just as a forager, but as a human being, is that I think in a consumer culture, we we could encourage to just take and consume all the time. And and very often we forget that another important part of that is to give something back. Um, and in terms of working with wild plant, and this comes back to our saying about how children and, and I and, and, it, and how it can be useful to grow things from seed. Mm. So, you know, I'll gather seeds and I'll grow I mean, it doesn't matter how, if it's a really, it could be a really common thing. It doesn't matter. So if I'm going to a, a dog rose bush and I'm taking lots of rose hips, mm. so, you know, I'll make that gorgeous blitzed up drink that we were talking about, but I'll take some of the seeds and I'll grow lots of little rose hip um, plants and then I'll go and plant them out. Really? Uh, very what, near in to the, the same in location. The wild, as it were. Yeah, very, okay. very near to the one where I've been picking. Really? Um, yeah. And I think that's a really nice thing to do. That really is a nice thing to do. Thing to do. Uh, and in fact, uh, I mean... And do you know, that it's, it's interesting. So when thinking about kind of children, one of, one of the things that it's both, I think of with both a mix of joy and sadness is I look back to kind of my childhood um, in wild places and it could just be a, a bit of so-called waste ground on the edge of town. But they're just disappearing, you know? So... Um, or they're becoming so, or they're becoming so sort of well tended that they they almost become sterile, you know, sort of. Made, That's it. Okay, I've forgotten my tra- I've forgotten my train of thought there. Sorry, you know, coming back back to that. Um, so we were talking about uh, community, and when we were children, you we were thinking about as a ch- as a child, to the open spaces. Yeah, but it, oh yeah, but it was yeah. But is is it? Yeah, it's that those places with those very common wild plants. That's it. The point is, I'm seeing a lot of them just disappearing under 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 tarmac, under you know housing developments, under shopping centres. Um, and you know, in I think it gives an added valuing. It's not just about uh, about growing them, and then putting those back in those habitats. You know, so you're not just valuing the habitat for the wonderful array of wild plants and insects and other animals you might be seeing there but you've got a different layer of valuing because you're actually contributing something as well so i think yeah yeah i think that's that's part of what i what i'm, I'm and i say. think yeah. that that what you were saying before about actually the key to this is about noticing 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 um that it's that that gives us uh, the appreciation of our environment um, and it means that we are then become without even meaning to almost custodians of, of just outdoor spaces doesn't matter whether they're quote-unquote ours or not yeah yeah custodians and stewards of, of nature that are just passing through that's right can you quickly tell us about your courses um just a quick overview because yeah. you run quite a few don't you yeah so I have I've really expanded massively this year after kind of 16 years of essentially running the two same courses which well they're, they're great courses of course um of course but, and yeah yeah of course like I say it just because it's got the word course in it <laughs> um but yeah so one of those is is mushroom foraging identification cooking 
um, not just cooking, there's other creative things you can do, like make paper with them as well and other artistic things. And also a day-long, fully immersive kind of 12, 13-hour extravaganza. Wow. Uh, where we, you know, we, we, we gather lots for, for lunch and then we cook indoors and then we gather lots for, for dinner and then we cook outside on open fires. And then we pickle things and we candy things and we, we, we might make a few drinks along the way. But I'm also doing <laughs> other things. It sounds like a good, fun time. Yeah, it's really good fun. I like that because, yeah, I guess once you've been doing this as long as, as I have, there's so much to share that you mm. kind of really want that, that length of time to kind of – and e- e- even in, in that length of time, I, it, there is a sense always of just scraping the tip of the iceberg um, yeah, about sure. the possibilities. But then I'm also kind of moving into – kind of different areas that I kind of like that are kind of related to wild food. So kind of, yeah, barefoot foraging is one thing that I, I kind of like a lot because it looks, it's connecting foraging with kind of something which is becoming much more of a thing, about much more something we're becoming aware of again, which is kind of natural movement or ancestral movement, the way we move our body yeah. and the, the kind of health benefits of that. And that's connected with, you know, how, how we walk as well on our um, and then, posture so and and slowing down breathing and noticing it's all connected it's all co- all connected back to noticing i i i, I see yeah. um, um so those courses you're running them now is there anything else that we need to know about that you're up to i've i've been yeah i have been <laughs> i never really need to know about this but i'm you know that, yes uh, we do go on tell them well i i've literally took about a month off and I've decided I'm going to do this every year now for the rest of my life as long as you know god willing as they say that we'll I can take do a month so. off excellent yeah I'm but no, down to, with to, that. To, to, well, to do this particular thing is that you know it's always been a question to me it's like how do you make foraging a big part of your diet and you're not just tinkering around the edges and yeah I found that the answer is to take a month off or on perhaps to just look at harvesting really abundant common wild foods. So I think things like nettles, wild garlic, right. uh, chickweed. And so I got 150 kilos of, of this in kind of April, May. Wow. And what are you of, making? Of mixed. Well, well I, it's brilliant. So I've got these leaf powders, which I make instant soups. I, I, I make instant kind of risottos. I put it in quiches, I put it in pastry. And it's so like now a sort of... it, was, it was a lot of work. But yeah, I've got. The, the whole year now to to be nourished that is every amazing day. so yeah. like a spirulina powder that you might get at, at some ponzi health shop essentially it's... but yeah but far far more complex and nuanced and rich and that's a brilliant yeah. idea do you mix them together these these um so I've, I've got yeah so it, it was although it was 150 it was about 18 key pot plants that made that the bulk of bulk of it and i have them both separately and all all mixed so i can play around with you know one day i just might want wild garlic another day i might want um fennel and and you mix it with, with uh stock water yeah well it depends i mean if i'm making instant soup it could be with some kind of milk or, or water or if i'm putting it into biscuits it's you know just with some kind of flour and, and fat um in pasta dough just straight in absolutely uh, yeah do, so do, is it um how do you uh, can you just take us very quickly through the process of making that powder yeah so i get the plants and ideally i won't wash them because uh this kind of for myself um but often i do so let's just assume like okay i've washed them i've kind of picked out any kind of debris of unwanted twigs or something that might be going on and then sorry very... what, how, let me stop you there why okay, that's ideally don't you wash them ideally you don't wash wash them why the, the only reason it adds another length of time to oh, the drying okay. drying okay. process that's the Got only it. only reason it's not yeah um for any other although you know i am yeah i mean i i, I am a big believer in kind of that we develop our immunity through encountering kind of bacteria mm. and mm. stuff. So, but that's another kind of another story. Okay. But, but the, the main thing is, okay, I've got some sea beet, wild spinach. Mm. I've washed it. 
um, which actually is a good thing because it gets pooed on a lot by slugs and snails. Yeah, okay, it's a good thing. Um, and I don't want that. I don't want that to cause <laughs> no. my immunity, to be honest. Um, then um, I'm very fortunate in the, where I live, we've got a big conservatory, but sometimes I just do this in the averagely warm kind of room in a house. So mm. in, in the conservatory, um, I put out a, a, sh- a couple of big sheets and I'll spread all the washed plants after kind of shaking excess water off. Yeah. Um, in a, in a, you know, a kind of even layer. And then I, I tend to leave, leave that for two or three days. And then what that does is that gets out half the moisture mm-hmm. at, at least. Then, um, I put it in a food dehydrator. I've, I've got a, a really good one that's got, I think it's got nine, nine shelves or something in it. Wow. And, and my housemate's got one too, so we've actually got two next to each other, <laughs> which is a bit of a luxury. And if you um, don't have a food dehydrator, could well, you I use say, an oven? You, yeah, well, this is the thing. I mean, you could, but the thing about a food dehydrator, you can you can set it at from like thirty five degrees all all the way up to about kind of seventy degrees or something. Right. So you can you've got real control over the, the temperature you want, and it's. I think in terms of flavor, it is often nice if you, you do dry it at the herb setting, which is around kind of 40 or something like that. Whereas mm-hmm. I think even the, the lowest oven, you can't get below 50. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I, do you know, I often say, because it is so true, that the single most useful bit of kitchen foraging equipment I think I've ever purchased is a decent food dehydrator right okay um, Good it to opens know. up so many possibilities so many possibilities okay so it's a really it's a really good investment even though they can be quite expensive it's worth doing and then but, what you know, happens and, when... and it, but, but, but you know before i got this you know if you would have you would have come to my house and you know times of the year when i'm dehydrating things there'd be radiators with like chicken wire all over them <laughs> and things you know sprawled everywhere just like um, I, I, it was a bit controversial where I, where, where I live um, because last year I, I, I created habit by encouraging lots of mice in the house by having we've got a, an airing cupboard and basically every surface <laughs> on the floor and various places was covered in acorns which which were drying. Oh my um, god, you are like so, a nightmare so, flatmate. But I'm wonderful in lots of other ways. No, you I'm, are I'm wonderful. Sure, you sure, are sure. indeed wonderful. Um, <laughs> and um, so there are multiple ways to, to dry things without a food dehydrator. But um, if you want to avoid house controversy with sure. your yes. family or yes. your housemates, yeah, yeah, the food dehydrator, everything's contained there is good. Yeah. Okay. And then yeah. could you, but could you, could you in fact just uh, hang these things up and, and let them dry naturally, just dry out naturally, or you do need some, some kind of heat? Um, I think it's because I, yeah, you could. There's some things in a kind of out of direct sunlight mm. in a kind of warm room. You can hang right. plants and they will dry if you do. As long as you don't. I mean, I, I succumb to the to the temptation when I'm when I do do bunch drying to often bunch in too big a bunches. Uh, okay. But, yeah. That's work. And it, yeah. And then so, and then what happens? So after drying them. Yes. So then this is my absolute favorite part of the whole process, apart from the gathering, which I enjoy. Is, is um, you know, when I say like foraging is essential experience, this is one of those things. It's like I, I find the biggest container I, I can get, and they're all crispy, dry, kind of quite big bits of leaf or whole leaf sometimes, mm-hmm. and they're all going to container. And I like, guess with my bare hands, I just scrunch and scrunch oh, and scrunch. One, that sounds wonderful. Um, my children would enjoy that. Oh yeah, and, you know there are so many aspects of foraging which kids love, and that that is definitely one of them. If it involves like scrunching and a lot of noise or um, sloppy, squelchy, messy, squelchy, <laughs> <laughs> squirty, yeah. squirty, yes, particularly uh, squirty. Well, ideally, all these things at once, um, although some of those things aren't compatible all at once, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, that sounds amazing. And then you, once you've get, got and them into tiny powder. So then, yeah, it depends what, what I want them for. If it's something like really kind of strongly flavoured, like wild garlic, I might just have it as a, a fairly large kind of sprinkle size mm. um for things but mm. but i think because 
often I, I want it in instant soups or I want to incorporate it into pasta dough or something, I do go for a fine powder. So then um, I've, I've got several, I, I don't know, I want to make, I've mentioned brands, but actually it is a really good one and I do use it a lot, so I will, which is a, a Nutribullet. I think they yeah. are excellent. However, and again, I've invested uh, because I've got three of them because I do a lot of blending and it, it can get them down to a really fine powder. Yeah, but, like a sort of matcha tea type. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because we've got a we've got a guy staying with us at the moment. He saw my my leaf powders first time. He says, I, I can't believe that's not matcha. I can't believe it. <laughs> it smells the same. It just it smells the same. But when, when he tasted the soup, he was like, he said, no, that's definitely not matcha. It's not, it's sort of matcha. Yeah. Mm. So so yeah, and I blend it to a really fine powder. But the the, the thing about because I actually wasted about a couple of hundred pounds about five or six years ago by burning out the motors on on Nutribullets. So I was going to so say because I, they're so not I've supposed got, to be I, for for dry things. They're, no, they are. You need they can wet be. stuff in there, don't you? Um, yeah, no, they, they work brilliantly. But the 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 thing is, what I what I, I mean, yeah. One is if, as long as you follow instructions, no matter whether it's wet or dry, but you're not supposed to have it running for more than um, 60 seconds. Oh, I um, see. But, but I still find if I, I've, got, I've got a huge amount of these dried leaves, I have three there and I, I, I literally do like 20 seconds on one. I lift it off onto the other one, lift it off onto the other one and it never gets hot enough to burn out. Oh so, my God, again, Fergus, the noise must be amazing in your kitchen. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 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 it, it, there are. I, I try to make sure I do these things when no one's around, but there are these times where, um, you know, it can be a little bit anti antisocial as people are trying to have a conversation. You know, <laughs> it's all worth it because you're you're, you're going to be providing them with this elixir. Really, yeah. I mean, such an amazing product to have it at at, at your disposal. And you can put it in almost any food. You just sprinkle it over things, can't you? Yeah. But I would say, you know what? There's, I just thought of this just now. A friend of mine wrote a book, You Live for a Year Without Money. And he had this, what he called the pop model. And it was like progression of principles. Mm -hmm. And within that, so you have your ideal. And then you like, you think, look at the steps to where you'd like to be. So like my ideal with working with Wild Greens is I'm always looking for what is the most long-term su sustainable solution? Like, you know, Nutribullets isn't, you know, no. dehydrators isn't. It's actually very easy to build yourself a solar um, dehydrator, which, I, which I'm in the process of doing, actually. But, like, yeah, so my, like, the top of my pot model for, for grinding wild leaves would be... You I on your haunches with a yeah, stone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so not only that, but you've got, you're having a, a little bit of a workout too, you know. So, but haven't they found they've they've examined the bones of the ladies that used to do that in near the Neolithic times, and they found they all had arthritis in the same place, particularly precisely because they were doing that all day, just grinding. Uh, you know, all I have to say it's it's not as bad as the news story I I heard recently about um people, children, um, and maybe young adults as well growing horns through um, <laughs> because of that mobile phone use. Did you did you read that one? <laughs> No, but oh my god! I mean, honestly, I do. Give, give I believe the arthritis it. rather than the, the, the horns. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. That's an interesting point. Um, no, but quite rightly, you, that is that is the goal, I guess, is to do it, it as sustainably as possible. Yeah, as possible. And, I, and I I think, you know, back back then, possibly it was, you know, it was do or die. Mm, whereas now absolutely. we have such an abundance. Yeah. That. It's it's more a kind of lifestyle choice, isn't it? And we don't have to grind everything. But it would be a, a lovely thing also just to get to know and connect with that kind of old tradition of, of doing things. And I'm sure in, in that process, I, you know, you, you would learn a lot. Yeah. Well, I guess it's, I suppose the solution is just to get hundreds of friends around. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, there's, that, well, you know, there's, there's a really joyful, fun thing Um in, in that regard is when I'm shelling acorns yes. so I dry them all and then I put them in 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 the, in the sitting room here on a big sheet mm -hmm. and then another big in a single layer big sheet on the top kind of roll up the edges and then just get loads of people to dance on them oh, that's um, we put on some music and dance around and then you you yeah you you, you know, break all the 
all the shells, and then you've just got to separate out the nut the nut meat. Um, oh, it sounds wonderful. So that that's actually probably I think you asked me earlier about like and we didn't really talk about it much about the communal aspect of, of it. Yeah. Um, I think in in our kind of culture, it's actually hard to to kind of find that, particularly as where foraging is concerned. When I think about it, we were talking about you know in, in the past using a grinding stone arthritis, but you know that even then it would have been a much more communal. Yes, activity. yes, they would have been sitting in a circle um, with their friends. Yeah, yeah, it's because we we lead separate lives, and uh, but you know there are these wonderful, playful, joyful occasions when you can bring people together. To well, if you invite me, I I will come and uh, dance on your acorn, <laughs> acorn sheet. Yeah, that's 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 uh, that's uh, <laughs> October. Um, An October activity, and yeah, um, yeah you're. If you can be part of my gang, my acorn gang. Oh, yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I'm going to have to say goodbye because I have to go and pick up a child. Um, and um, I just want to say thank you so, so much for taking the time to let us into your foraging world. It just sounds wonderful. I'm going to put all your um, all your handles and your details in the show notes. But obviously, you can follow um, Fergus on Instagram at Fergus the Forager. And your website is? Yeah, fergusforager.co.uk. Where you will find details of all Fergus's courses, um, which I'm finding it's very tempting. Just go off and go off and do some of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a lot too. to learn. Thank you so much, yeah, Fergus. It's lovely. Really lovely to speak to you. Thank you, my darlings, for taking the time to listen to the Virgin Gardener podcast. Uh, if you liked it, then maybe subscribe and leave a five-star review. If you didn't like it, maybe you'll like another episode. Uh, if you don't like it at all, don't do anything. Okay? <laughs> Thanks. Uh, you can find me on my blog, letitiamcleaf.com, or via my Instagram or Twitter, at Letitia Until then, I'm sending you all the good things. <laughs>